Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor, joined by Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Coming up on the podcast today, we'll hear from Red Wings statistician Greg Innes, who is celebrating his 50th season with the team this year. But first, Ted, training camp begins today with the annual golf tournament in Traverse City, and then the Red Wings hit the ice on Thursday. The annual red and white game is Sunday. And then next Tuesday, the preseason opens against the Pittsburgh Penguins at Little Caesars Arena. Do you think it feels like hockey season yet, though, Ted? You've covered a few games in the summer with the Tigers. You went to the Lions game in Kansas City. You previewed the Port Huron to Mackinac boat race. Will it take a while for things to kick in and start living in rinks again? I got to be honest, my friend. I think I sense there's, I don't know if it's, full-scale excitement, but I think people are really interested regarding this team. I mean, Mm -hmm. with all the changes they made, there is a level of intrigue. Um, I'm I'm eager to see what they have on the ice. I mean, we've been talking about this all summer, all the personnel changes they made, uh, getting Alex DeBrincat, one of the the prolific goal scorers in the league. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I, Steve Eiserman did a lot of, it was quite the facelift here. There's a lot of new faces. Uh, I think actually a lot of people are eager to see what that product look like, looks like on the ice. And then it certainly does seem like they have a better overall roster, deeper. Mm-hmm. So maybe there actually might be a playoff chase this year. Who knows? We shall see. But. No, I, I sense there is a level of intrigue regarding this team this season. Ted, yesterday was Steve Eiserman's annual media availability before training camp, and you asked Eiserman a number of questions, beginning with this one about possibly making the playoffs and ending this seven-year playoff drought. How important would it be to make the playoffs this year? I mean, I don't want to say playoffs are bust, but is making the playoffs fairly important for you this season? Well, I think every team would love to make the playoffs, Ted. Like uh again, um, you know, we'd be we'd be thrilled to make the playoffs. Is it playoffs or bust? Uh when you say playoffs or bust, I guess you're you're prepared to trade all your draft picks and whatever you have to do at some point. So no, it's not playoffs or bust, but we're gonna we're gonna try to win every game and we're gonna try to make the playoffs. Um, but it's to me it's not at the expense of of the future. Uh, going to continue to repeat like I'm trying to build a nucleus of a team that can make the playoffs on an annual basis like you know we you squeak in one year and you don't have the foundation to to, uh, sustain it that you know we're going to be sitting here a year from now or two years from now and you're going you know like going to be you know wondering again so I would love to make the playoffs the whole city would Uh, every one of our players everybody in our organization would love to and and, you know, we'll give it a shot. We did what we could in the offseason to improve our team um, without, you know, mortgaging really any part of the future. Um, so, you know, we'll continue to try and get better. And hopefully sooner than later, we're a playoff team. Ted, what did you make of Eiserman's answer that it's not playoffs or bust? Not yet. He said he's building the nucleus of the team and he's not prepared really to trade draft picks or top prospects, especially at the deadline, just to get into the playoffs for the first time since 2016. It makes sense though, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Without a doubt, Mark. And I, and I don't, I think he's, uh, he's telling the truth, but 
Let's face it, Mark. I think they'd love to make the playoffs. I mean, what has it been now? Seven seasons, and I, I, I think there's a a little sense of frustration, if if that's the right word. I'm not sure that might be too strong of a word, but yeah, they'd love to make the playoffs. And I don't know how you feel, but I do think there's a little better of a chance this year than there was last season. Don't you agree? I agree, Ted. I think there's a a pretty good chance they improved by six points last year. Now, if they improve by six points or maybe even eight or 10, they still may not make the playoffs, but they should be right there, shouldn't they? It's going to be interesting to see how this division evolves. I mean, the heavyweights, Boston, Toronto, Florida, Tampa, Mm -hmm. they just, on paper, well, Boston obviously suffered staggering losses. Toronto, you just wonder whether the changes actually make them better or not. Tampa, I mean, they're getting to the point where the the depth really is just not there anymore. Florida, you figure Florida learned a lot from their run last year at the end of the season, but they have some key injuries to start the season. Mm -hmm. You figure Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit, they really have a chance to make some hay, especially early in the season. and. I don't think the gap, I don't know about you, but I don't think the gap in the division is as wide as it's been the last several years. I think those four heavyweights have kind of come back to the fray. Do you agree? I mean, I definitely get that sense anyways. Coming up next on the podcast, it's time for our interview segment, and today's guest is Greg Innes. Joining us now is Red Wing statistician Greg Innes, who will celebrate 50 years of working for the team this year, in fact, Sunday marked five decades of service since his first day on the job on September 17th, 1974. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. What do you remember, if anything, about that first day with the Red Wings? And can you believe Sunday's milestone, 50 years? Yeah, it's gone by awfully quick. Uh, (laughs) You sometimes sit back and say, where did it go? Where did it go? Uh, I actually went down to the uh, Olympia back in September of uh, 1973, mm-hmm. and I applied for a job, uh, either in PR or marketing, and the public relations director at that time, the late John Bell, mm-hmm. uh, said, well, you got to have a little bit more experience, you know, and I left there, but I was determined <laughs> to not uh, leave empty-handed. So I asked them, I said, well, you know, I like to write. I said, how about if I write an article or two for the program that you have each game that you sell? And it was a different program each game back then. So he said, yeah. So I started writing programs, uh, articles for the programs. And I did that for, I want to say, three years. And then they found out I like to fool around with statistics. <laughs> and so at that time, Kathy Best was the PR assistant. And she asked, well, can you help me maybe with the uh, media guide we put out every year and maybe the game notes? And I did that. And, uh, well, one thing led to another. And then I started doing stats for uh, TV, mm-hmm. uh, both home and away. And it just uh, evolved from there. Greg, what are some of the highlights, the career highlights with the Wings? Certainly June 7th, 19. 97, the first Stanley Cup in 42 years. Steve Eiserman's double overtime goal against the Blues you've mentioned to us before. But what stands out in games you've watched here in Detroit from Olympia to Joe Louis Arena to Little Caesars? 
Well, obviously, the uh, number one game would be the night we won the cup. Uh, for years, people would come to me at my other job at General Motors, and they'd say, why do you waste your time going down to see that team? You know, they were known as the dead wings, the dead things or whatever. And, you know, they weren't a very good team for a while. And people would ask me why I wasted my time. And I said, you know, someday they're going to win the cup at home and I'm going to drink out of the Stanley Cup. And, of course, they laughed at me. Well, that night we won the cup. I mean, you know, it was expected. We were up three games to none. And, you know, you knew you were going to win. But would you do it at home or on the road? Well, we won it at home. And, uh, you know, I have to admit there were a few tears ran down my cheeks. Of course. Yeah. And then I went in the dressing room afterwards. It took me quite a while to get in there. It was a lot of gridlock. And, uh, you know, finally I got up near the cup, which had champagne in it. And some of the people were yelling, get your drink, Greg. You waited all these years. Get your drink. Yeah. <laughs> so I lifted up the cup and it was heavy. And I kept lifting it up higher and higher leaning back more and more, and I couldn't get any champagne. Finally, this hand went under the cup to help me lift it up, and I got my drink, and that was so satisfying. And the person that held it up, Vladimir Konstantinov. Vladimir Konstantinov. And we know what happened a few days later. Greg, you mentioned your other job for 30 years. You worked on the assembly line at General Motors starting most shifts, almost every shift at 6 a.m. How were you able to combine the two jobs? And what happened the one night you missed half a shift at work? You know, people, Mark, would ask me all the time, I don't know how you do this, you know, because some nights the Red Wing games would go to 10, 1030, and I wouldn't get home to maybe uh, 1130, 12. And by the time, you know, you unwind, it could be 1231. Then all of a sudden, three hours later, the alarm would go off and, and uh, it's time to get up. Uh, the one game that we're talking about, it was the 19, was it 84? 84. Yeah, it was the 84, uh, semis against St. Louis. And it was, uh, I think it started a little bit later because of TV. It, it sure enough went to double overtime and the wings lost. I believe Mark Reed scored that goal for St. Louis. Uh, I didn't get home till like 1 a.m. And you know what? I said, to heck with it. I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. I'm not going to miss the day, but I'm going to sleep in. <laughs> and I slept in and I finally went in half a day. And <laughs> I think most of them understood what happened. But otherwise, you were there yeah. 30 years. Yeah, I didn't miss any other games because of the Red Wings. I, I didn't miss any. Uh, I was proud of that. So, Greg, I talked to Ken Holland, the former GM of the four-time Stanley Cup champion Red Wings and now GM of the Oilers. He said, you have more passion for the Detroit Red Wings than anybody he's ever met in the game of hockey. He said you're loaded with information, that you're incredibly respectful to the people in the game, and that your unassuming nature has been the key to your longevity. What do you make of what he said, and how about the longevity? Kenny's check is in the mail, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell you what, I appreciate that coming from a wonderful man like Ken Holland. Uh, as nice a person as you'd want to meet. You know, I, I've always had great passion for hockey, not just the Red Wings. I started watching hockey when I was about six. And that goes back to, oh, gosh, 1956. And I've always loved hockey. I've always loved the Red Wings. And uh, I just uh, follow it. And, eat, you know, the old expression, eat, breathe, and sleep hockey. I've had uh, uh, women tell me, 
you're already married. You're married to <laughs> hockey. And you know what? They may not be entirely wrong. But, yeah, what he said is uh, is correct. I, I just uh, have a great passion for it. Greg, I also talked to Bill Jamison, who was named the NHL's Public Relations Director of the Year seven times in 14 years with the Wings from 1982 to 1996. He said, your knowledge of hockey is second to none. He talked about your hockey library full of media guides, publications, and books, how you take care of us in the media, the visiting broadcasters, scouts, GMs, your game day staff. In fact, he sit up in the press box when Gordy Howe would walk by and give you guys a sharp elbow in the back. Bill would joke with you and say, you're Mr. Hockey, too. Of course, there was only one Mr. Hockey. But what about the role, Greg, of a statistician, a hockey historian? What makes a good statistician in your mind? And why is the history of the game so important to you? Well, before I answer that, there was a night when Bill... It was about, oh, 45 minutes before game time. Mm-hmm. And Bill was sitting in his office getting last-minute things yeah. ready to go. Gordy Howe walked by. I said, come on, Gordy, let's go in. And we went in uh, Bill's office, and I said, Bill, here's your first time you get an opportunity to say hello to both Mr. Hockey. Because <laughs> he used to call me Mr. Hockey That's all cool. the time. Of course, I was never any Mr. Hockey compared to Gordy. No. Um, well, a good statistician is somebody. Preparation is the main thing, Mark. You've got to prepare before each game. You can't just go in and sit down and say, okay, uh, let me just see who's on the roster. You have to go over all the notes. You have to go online. You have to go through some of your uh, the favorites that you have on your uh, on your uh, computer. You know, like I have a whole bunch of hockey favorites. When I say favorites, I mean websites. And, you know, you got to go and study the other team. You got to keep up with what the other players are doing. Mm-hmm. You got to look for upcoming milestones. You've got to just really prepare and because you find out that most of the guys that you're working with uh, are well prepared too. And, you know, you don't want them to say, well, this guy isn't, he's not uh, prepared at all. So a, a good statistician is somebody that takes pride in what he does and prepares himself really well. And then you have to know how to work with certain announcers. Now, some announcers, and this goes for baseball, too, because I do some baseball games, too. Uh, some announcers love stats. They eat up everything you give them. They want more. Can't get enough. Some announcers aren't really going home about the stats. You write something down, and you put it in front of them, and they'll look, and they'll nod, okay, and then they won't even bother with it, though. And it's not because it's a bad stat. It's just that they're not really into stats. They would like to talk about other things instead. But you have to know who the announcer is before you start and how much do they want. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then give them stuff that pertains to what's going on. In other words, if a guy uh, scores a goal, you know, you let him say, okay, this is uh, four games in a row now that he has scored a goal or this or that. You know, interesting things. Uh, that's what makes a good stats guy. And you have to get along with uh, – you know, the people that you're working with. Greg, I also spoke with Elva Polano, the wife of former Red Wings coach, mm-hmm. Nick Polano, who was Steve Eisenman's first coach, by the way. And when Nick was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2015, she said you made regular trips to the house and the nursing home to take her husband out for breakfast or lunch for courtyard visits until his death in 2019. She said you made a difference in their lives and that she didn't know what she would have done without your help. What was Nick Polano like, Greg? And you talked about staying in touch with people, developing relationships. Why do you do that? 
Well, Nick was, uh, like, we got along great right from the start. And Nick was a very uh, tough guy as far as a coach. I know some of the players didn't care for him too much because of his toughness. Mm -hmm. But he, um, he, you know, worked hard and, and prepared himself. He came into a tough situation when the team wasn't very, very good at the time. And he had to do whatever he could to get him in the playoffs. And he got him into the playoffs his second year. But um, in his office, in the assistant general manager's office, and he was the assistant GM as well, mm -hmm. uh, on the board, on the wall, there was a depth chart board with all the name and letters from all the, the rosters of all the other teams. Okay. And I did that all year round. I started doing that for Nick and then the other guys after Nick, Doug McClain and Donnie Waddell and, and on and on, you know, uh, and Kenny Holland and, and uh, that way you could just look up on the board and see who's on the which team. And Nick appreciated that. And we just uh, got along really well. And uh, he would uh, take good care of me sometimes. And then after he left the team and mm -hmm. retired, I would go over and, you know, we'd go out and have supper. And he loved it. And he then, of course, you know, he took ill. And, uh, yeah, I went over to see him at the uh, at the facility that he was at. Until, you know, things got progressively worse with him. But uh, we just, uh, we loved to talk hockey. He loved hockey, and uh, so did I. And finally, Greg, you're 73 now, celebrating 50 years of Red Wings hockey. Don't remind me of that. Yeah, 73. And you said you have no plans to retire. Now, Ken Holland said it's incredible that you've been with the Red Wings, well, for more than half of the franchise's history. The Red Wings entered the NHL in 1926, so... Season number 98 is coming up on October the 12th in New Jersey. So when you look back, you talked about that first game in 1956. You attended every home game from 1969 until 2003. What has hockey uh, meant to your life, Greg? Well, I'm a single guy and I don't have a lot of relatives left. And so that's kind of like a family to me, the game. And the players are like uh, family members, you know, the coaching uh, staff, the PR, you know, when the season starts back up in September, I'm like, Hey, I'm home again, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just, uh, it's just amazing that, uh, you know, what goes on once the season starts and you meet more people. Uh, I sit in the media lounge before a game and I always look forward to the visiting team coming in Sure. because I'm going to know some of the guys, the announce, mainly the announcers, because I've worked with some of them, maybe some of the assistant coaches come in. A couple of them may have played or coached in Detroit at one time. So I get to see a lot of uh, visiting people too. And, you know, it's just, I know it sounds a little corny, but that's, mm -hmm. that's the way it is. I just like to see uh, hockey people and talk with them and media and what have you. Greg, thanks again for your time today talking to us about 50 years of Red Wings hockey, your role as statistician and historian. Enjoy the season, of course. And we'll see you next Tuesday at Little Caesars when the preseason starts with the Penguins in town. Appreciate all you do for all of us. Take care. Okay, Mark. Thank you very much. Our thanks again to Greg Ennis. And Ted, I know you've worked with Greg probably for nearly 25 of those 50 years. Sure. And I'm sure you're not surprised that Ken Holland said, Greg is more passionate for the Detroit Red Wings than anybody he's ever met in the game of hockey. He's a terrific numbers man, too. I mean, he really is so thorough, mm -hmm. so diligent in his work. 
he's a staple there. There's no question about it. He's a staple. Now let's hear from Steve Eiserman again. And this time a question from Max Boltman, the beat writer from the athletic. Hey, Steve, I'm curious when you were talking about kind of coming out of the rebuild and, you know, making sure you have the the foundation, not just trying to squeak in. Do you think it's possible to come out of a rebuild too soon? I think that's a fear that a lot of people in hockey have sometimes. I'm just curious if you think that's a real thing. Um, a good question. Um, come out of it too soon. I think you have to, you know, have an honest assessment or an accurate assessment of, of where you're at, what your team where you know, uh, and, and I think there, there can be a danger to, I guess, to jump ahead. And what does that mean? You, all of a sudden you're, you know, trading your top prospects and trading your draft. At least that's my opinion, trading your draft picks and your prospects before you have that group. Um, uh, now if you're getting, you know, you're acquiring players that are going to be with you for a extended uh, stretch of time or extended period of time. I think that's, that's good, but yeah, I, I, you know, we all like, you know, we talk, talk about the playoffs uh, last spring. We talked about when are we going to make it? We did this summer and we are today and there's like, we all want to get there and that, that uh, desire to you know, make that move or do something that kind of puts you over the top at uh, as far as being a playoff team. I think there's some judgment in when that time is. Uh, so, yeah, I think, Max, I think there is something to that is, you know, kind of being patient, uh, being honest and, and accurate in your assessment of your organization, and then do what's necessary at the appropriate time. Ted, you asked a similar question to Eiserman yesterday about where they are in this rebuild now in year five since he took over in 2019 you know last year they added cop peron Sherat, mata and huso this year you mentioned some of the additions to brinkett comfer strong fisher costin petrie gustus bear hall reimer and lion we talked about the atlantic division and the wings could improve again and come close to the playoffs but if they don't make it, the pressure will be mounting again. Do you think they will make the playoffs? They have nine of their first 15 games at home before they head over to Sweden. What do you think? Well, Mark, if you had to really pin me down, I would say no. I think they're going to miss it by mm-hmm. several points or whatnot. I just, for some reason, I still look at this roster and I'm not convinced that they're going to be one of the eight top eight teams in the Eastern Conference. I just can't see it. I mean, you figure, okay, the other division doesn't matter as much, but you figure, okay, Carolina, New Jersey, and the Rangers, they're going to be, they're far and away the three best teams in that division. You got Pittsburgh and the Islanders. Pittsburgh Islanders made it last year. At least on paper, they still probably are a little stronger than the Wings are. Pittsburgh, all they did was add the Norris Trophy winner. So, I mean, I think Pittsburgh's going to be a very good regular season team. So, it, they're going to be the Wings are going to be battle for a wild card spot. It's tough to say that they're st- can't really say that they're still any better than any of those four heavyweights we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe Boston really does take a big slide, but they still have four or five of the elite players in the league. I mean, that's should be enough to carry you to respectability and knowing that that roster, they 
you know, they're going to fight and battle and win a lot of one to nothing or two to one games if they have to. Buffalo and Ottawa, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's almost like they're going to be battling Buffalo and Ottawa potentially for a wild card berth that's going to be out there. And I kind of like Buffalo's roster. I think Buffalo, I mean, we've been saying it seems like for the last couple of years, but I think Buffalo might be ready to take that next step. Ottawa certainly looks formidable. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I I don't think their top, the wings top end talent is quite there yet. They need another couple pieces, but they're getting closer. I don't know. I'm not sure fans really want to hear that. And I agree with you, Mark. I think if they miss the playoffs this year, there will be a level of expectations this summer, next following season. I mean, I don't want to say pressure, but. I think mm-hmm. the natives are going to be a little bit restless at that point. And finally, Ted, you have a story coming out today at DetroitNews.com. Ten questions facing the wings heading into camp. We mentioned some of the new players like the Brinkett, Comfer, Strong, Fisher, Costin, Petrie, Gostas, Bear, Hall, Reimer, and Lyon. What are a couple of the key questions for you heading into camp? Well, who's going to be the backup gold goaltender? I think mm-hmm. that's definitely one. I mean, I think we all assume James Reimer, but Alex Lyon had a very good season last year in Florida, so it's something to watch. The health of some of these players have Michael Rass has Michael Rasmussen Rasmussen come all the way back. That's, I mean, when they lost him at the end of last year, that was a big factor. Uh, I mean, it's an easy one, but just how will the lines and the pairings shake out? I think a lot of people are really going to be in tune to that. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of questions here in the next month before the regular season starts and uh it's gonna like i said i think it's very intriguing i think a lot of fans are mm-hmm. a lot of fans are excited about this how this t- thing's gonna evolve here in the next couple months ted thanks again for your time today and that'll do it for episode 93 of our detroit news detroit red wings podcast you can find all of ted's stories online at detroitnews.com as well as on our octopulse facebook page We'll be back before the season opener against the Devils. We'll talk to you then. Bye for now.